Amen. Well, it is so good to be back in Gloucester this morning. It was uh, a little bit of deja vu driving up over the bridge and uh, back up here this morning. It's really, really nice to be back. And I'm so thankful. Uh, I think I said this the last time I visited here, but I, I feel a little bit like Pastor Sean when he used to come and visit uh, when I was uh, the lead pastor here, he would always say, some of you don't know who I am, and that's great. Well, I feel like probably half of you have no idea who this guy is, uh, but hopefully if Pastor Nate likes me, you're good. And uh, so we're happy with that. It's really, really great to be back. Uh, by the grace of God, we spent about four years or so here uh, together working with Pastor Nate, and uh, God did some really great, great things. We came up with about 100 maybe, including kids, uh, ballpark people, and uh, some, you know, we had some attrition, some moved back to other campuses and so on, but uh, we had a good core group of people when we started here, and look what God has done. You had you had pushing 400 people here Christmas Eve. That's amazing, right? I'm just so grateful. And uh, God, in his kindness, even gave me a red light at Hickory Fork so I could stare at the new building for a few minutes this morning on my way up here. And uh, man, I'm just so excited about what God is doing. Uh, I thought I might share a little bit about what's happening at Hampton since my my role at Coastal has basically become the mentoring pastor. I don't know that that's an official, that's not an official title, but um, so in God's kindness, I got to work here for those four or so years. And uh, now I'm in Hampton, have been there a year. I'm working with Marcus Devon. The plan is eventually he will become the lead pastor at that campus. And hopefully I'll do it again until I just can't do that anymore. So uh, I'm really, really, it's very fulfilling to me to be able to, to be somewhere and go and keep coming back. And so I'm really super excited. So um Updates on Hampton. Hampton was very different uh, in its beginnings from Gloucester because we had a bunch of people that were traveling over to Yorktown from here, from the Middle Peninsula, uh, every weekend to go over to Yorktown. And so when we when we moved, as as those of you who were part of that group, you know that when we moved from our uh, place on uh, in Grafton down to the new campus in Yorktown a few years ago, the, you were the only group of people we moved away from at Coastal. And uh, so the cries came and uh, by the kindness of the Lord, he opened an opportunity and we came here. And uh, so we had a good bunch of people, good core group. In, in Hampton, it was very much different. When the church voted in Hampton, it was Hampton Roads Baptist Church when they voted to become adopted by Coastal and give everything that they had to Coastal, I think there were 12 people at that meeting that were left as members of that church. So it was really a very much a dying church. They had had an interim pastor for about three years who I had known uh, previously. And uh, he walked me around the building one day before the whole transaction happened and showed me the downstairs, which the whole downstairs under their auditorium is their children's wing. Uh, there's a lot of space, but it was old and ugly and asbestos floor tiles that had to be taken care of and like prison green on the wall. It was just nasty. And had, but in some ways it didn't matter because they hadn't had kids there in years. These were just all a bunch of older folks. But in, in an exhibition of great kingdom mindedness, they said, we don't want our church to die 
just because what we're doing isn't working. And so they gave everything to Coastal. And so uh, we have begun. And my first two Sundays there, we had 25 people in the whole building, and uh, which uh, you can imagine may have been a little discouraging. And apparently my face spoke a little too loudly at, at uh, Yorktown one day because Pastor Sean saw me and said, listen, you need to understand the average church in America runs about 75. So if we get 75 people in Hampton, I'll consider that a win, which was an encouragement, but we had left and everybody here and we all knew this place was about to just go ballistic and uh, God in his uh, grace has made that happen. But we, uh, <clears throat> so we, we went, we did our thing, we began to work and uh, Marcus began children's ministry in March and it was one of those things, kind of a, if you build it, they will come sort of thing. We had, I think, two babies that we knew of, but we started children's ministry and uh, we're now running 15 to 20 kids every Sunday. We've got a staff of uh, people that are working with the kids. We uh, have done just about finished our first round of leadership development. We're about to start our second one with six new people. I anticipate we will uh, install our first four deacons at the campus there in February. I anticipate we will ordain Marcus Devon uh, on that Sunday as well. So we're having some good spiritual fruit going on. We've had over a hundred visitors in this past year. Uh, we've had 21 people, I think, attend We Are Coastal at Hampton. Uh, many of those, a number of those have become members. So we're really grateful for what God is doing. And at those early days, I thought I was exercising faith. And so I just told the people kind of, because the pastor is supposed to be the optimist, right? And I said, listen, I'm praying we're going to have 100 people in here for Christmas Eve. And uh, I was... Uh, I didn't entirely believe that would happen, but, you know, the pastor's supposed to sound like he has faith. So I tried. And uh, but from the first week of October to the first week of December, we averaged 90 in attendance. So that was normal for us. And we had 120 in our Christmas Eve service. So I was super happy. God has done some really, really good things. And I mean, you know, you're part of Coastal, so, you know, we're not. We're not about how many people got there, right? We just know that every one of those people that were there is a person uh, in whose life God needs to minister grace and needs to see them grow. And so we're, we're super happy. We're connecting with people in the community, which is really exciting to me. Um, we have brought in young families. One of the older guys who has been in the church for many years, uh, last summer one day we were out, we have a little grassy area just outside the main entrance and kids were out there running around. He said, I can't tell you the last time I see, I remember seeing kids running around on this yard. He said, this is like a tear in his eye. And we had a high of just on a standard Sunday of 107 in October. And he said, I think it must have been like a funeral or a wedding the last time we had that many people in this building. So uh, God is encouraging the people who've been there a long time and encouraging our hearts. And uh, so you keep praying for us and we will keep praying about that building. Man, I am so excited. I remember <laughs> when we first decided, okay, we're building a building, finally going to be, be, build a building. As many of you, some of you sitting here were ones who came and said, now, when we get in the new building, we're going back to one service, right? So I, we all know that ship has sailed, right? That's not happening. Um, you can't fit all of the people that God has brought here uh, into one service in that building. Thank the Lord for that, right? It's such an exciting, exciting thing. 
So that's all good stuff. And here we stand at the first day of a new year. Uh, if, uh, if you are in my generation, you wondered maybe uh, 20 years ago if we'd actually hit these years. Getting, getting through Y2K seemed like a, a monumental event, remember? And uh, here we are 23 years later. Uh, for those of you who really would like to feel old, I didn't say it in the first service because Mitchell would have had a heart attack. He and Jody were here then. This is Mitchell's birthday, the 1st of January. He's 29 today, if, in case you don't feel old enough already. Um, but it's amazing to me that we stand at yet another blank slate, another opportunity to have a brand new year to think about what are we going to do. Now, some of you make resolutions. Some of you are into that. Some of you are really organized about it, and you write them down. I know at, at Coastal, as staff, we have, toward the end of each year, we begin to think through our measurable goals for the next year, which is a form of a resolution. But um, we, we want to think, how's this going to happen? Others of us just kind of manage by muddling through, right? We just kind of, well, I'll just do whatever comes, and it'll work out, and it'll be fine. And and uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not actually one that makes much in the way of resolutions anymore, but we all are thinking about what's this year got in store, right? What's going to happen now this year? Some of you have had a hard year in 2022. Some of you have faced health issues or relationship issues that you never expected you would face. And it's been a difficult year or maybe job situations or whatever it is. And and uh, you're you're kind of happy to be turning the page in your in your binder to another year or flipping, you know, sliding the, the thing on your phone, whatever. But it's new and we have a chance to change and do something different. I watched a, a show. It's been actually some years ago now, probably, I guess, four or five years ago at the end of a year that was kind of chronicling people, well-known people who had died in the previous year. Della Reese uh, was in her 80s when she died from Touched by an Angel. You remember Della Reese? And, and uh, Jim Neighbors had died and Mel Tillis had died. You know, and all these people were, were in their 80s that particular year. Adam West, I mean, Batman died. I mean, come on. It was a hard year. <laughs> and... Uh, one of them really stood out to me, though, and it wasn't necessarily because he had such a monstrous impact, but it was partly because that he was not in his 80s. He was in his mid to late 70s, which is seeming younger and younger all the time to me. <laughs> and uh, but it's because of his the four words that he said at the end of his life that really stood out. His daughter, Katie, his name was David Cassidy from the Partridge family. His daughter, Katie, tweeted out these words. Words cannot express the solace our family has received from all the love and support during this trying time. My father's last words were, so much wasted time. This will be a daily reminder for me to share my gratitude with those I love as to never waste another minute. Thank you. Whether you do resolutions or measurable goals or whether you just kind of you know, pull up the bootstraps and tear into a new year, looking forward to seeing what God's got in store. What I want to be sure is true of me when I get to the end of 2023 is I don't look back and say I wasted time. So rather than get into the weeds of details, I want to 
back up a little bit, take a little broader view and get some perspective from Psalm 90 on how to approach something new, a new time, some opportunity to, to think through what does God want for me now in this year? What's going to come next? And I want to give you a little background as to why I think this is worthwhile when it comes to a new year. Perhaps in your Bible, it does in mine, has the little subheadings. This says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Best as I can tell, this prayer was written sometime in the period of time when the children of Israel were getting ready to go into Canaan. So God had miraculously delivered them some 40 years earlier from Egypt. And you remember the plagues, and we've been preaching through Exodus over the last few years. And so you remember these accounts, these incredible drama of God showing his superiority over every so-called God that other people worshiped. And so here is Moses looking back at all of that, but why 40 years? You remember, right? They got two years into the Exodus after they had left, and they were ready to go into the land of Canaan. There are probably 2 million people, 600,000 men, plus women and children. And so you add them in, it's probably in the ballpark of 2 million. They're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses says, let's send some scouts out. So they take basically a representative from every tribe, all 12 tribes of Israel. They send 12 men across into the land of Canaan. And they go and scope out the land, come back, bring us a report, let us know. We got to get our plan of attack. So these 12 guys go in and they are astonished. It's just exactly like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. The, the fruit and the vegetables, everything is incredible. And they come back and they bring some samples of what they found over there. And they bring it back to the people and they all assemble. And 10 of them say, it is true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. But the people, they are way too big. We felt like grasshoppers. They were so big. We could never do this. We cannot overcome the obstacles that are ahead of us. Two of them, the other two, said, what? hold up. God is the one who's going to do this. And if God is pleased with this, this is all in Numbers 14, the early part of Numbers 14, then he will surely defeat our enemies before us. We can do this. The rest of Numbers 14 is the report, the record of the people's rebellion. They decide, you know what? We're going to listen to the other 10. We're going to say our enemies are too big for us to tackle. The obstacles are too many. We're not going to do this. We're not going to listen to the two guys who said, our God is too big to worry about the obstacles. And so the people rebelled and said, no, we're not going. And Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron tear their clothes and they plead with God, please don't destroy everybody right here. So God said, okay. So here's what's going to happen. They were gone 40 days. So you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody who's 20 years old and older dies. You didn't want to go in the land of Canaan? 
fine. You won't go in the land of Canaan. So for the next 40 years, Moses watches as about 100 or so people die every day from the people of Israel. Probably three quarters of them were that age, right? I mean, they're all the adults, all the 20 years old and older died. And after 40 years of watching 100 or so people die every day from among the people of Israel, Moses writes these words, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So a little perspective on what Moses has been going through and what's in the background of his thinking helps me think through what we're going to talk about today. Some perspective on this new year. And as we get to the end of it, I'm going to give you four prayers that I hope you will embrace to pray as you head into this new year. Because some of this, I got to tell you, is, is a little bit of a, of a downer. But we'll get to the good stuff, I promise. All right, let me have a word of prayer before we get underway. Lord, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you, Father, for uh, these dear folks, many of whom are dear friends to me and my family. And we've enjoyed some great uh, ministry opportunities together. I thank you for what you're doing here. And Lord, I thank you for a new year, the excitement of it and what lies ahead uh, there will be obstacles, Father. So help us to gain some perspective and remember this year. Uh, what are the things that we can and should do? How should we pray as we look forward to this new year of ministry? For I ask in Christ's name, amen. I want to begin with an important contrast, and it's found in those few verses that I just read. And the first half of the contrast is this. God is eternal. Now, why is that important? I think it's really, really important for a couple of reasons, but I want you to think about these verses. You've been our dwelling place, it says. That's a place of refuge. That's a place where we find security. When things are dangerous, when things are difficult, when things are scary, we run to a place of refuge. Last night, about 12.03, fireworks started going off near our house. Woke me up. It was fine. I'm not too worried about them, but our dogs, on the other hand, are not fans. They ran under the bed, hiding, shivering, you know, it was not fun for them because they needed a place that felt secure. Lord, you've been our place of, ref of refuge in all generations, literally from generation to generation. We watch it one after another. Now, as Moses is in writing, Israel has been a people for a few centuries now, right? I mean, it was quite a long time, 400 years in the land of Egypt and some time before that and so on. So they've been around a while. They've watched generation after generation come by. And Moses says, you have been our security, our place of refuge for all of that time, throughout all of those generations, but not just those even since before creation, from before there were mountains, from before the earth was around, you have been the place that we went to. From everlasting to everlasting, 
that's pretty significant because we are mortal and will live forever. Once we die, we will live forever somewhere, but we all had a beginning. This is reminding us that for God, that's not true. As far back as you can look, God was always there. If you could somehow look to uh, 10,000 years ago, God would have already been there. You know, as you get older, the length of time, the amount of your existence grants you some perspective, right? When you're six, something that happened three years ago, that's like half your lifetime, right? That's like, wow, that's half my lifetime ago. That seems like a really long time. When you're 60, something that happened three years ago, you've barely even had time to forget it yet. It wasn't that, it was just a little while, you know, a couple years back. Because the length of time you've been around gives you some perspective. Don't you think that's true of God too? He has always existed from everlasting to everlasting. It gives God perspective that I can't have. He has been around for everything I read about in the Bible and long before. None of it took him by surprise because he's not bound by time. None of this takes God off guard he is both sovereign, he is the Lord. The first word in the first verse, Lord, is master, the boss, the guy that's in charge. He's the Lord, he's sovereign, and he is powerful. The last verse in these couple of verses, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A word for the power of God. But in contrast to the fact that God is eternal, we read that man is frail and temporary. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Think about that sentence in relation to the fact that all those people have been dying for the last 40 years among the children of Israel. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's passed or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night was like four hours. Just wasn't long. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and in the, in the, it's renewed and in the evening it fades and it withers. You remember what James said about our life, right? James chapter 4. Your life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. As I was driving over here about 8.30 this morning, the remnants of the fog that had set in overnight around the water was still there. Came down over the bridge and the fog was still there. The lights were, the sign was still on saying fog advisory, you know, and you, you could watch. But as I came up the road, I was watching as the sun was beginning to break through and the fog, the mist was beginning to dissipate. That's our life. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It is a, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We forget because 
we're so bound in time, we forget that if we live 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 years, in comparison with eternity, it's a very brief season. God is eternal. We are frail and temporary. I know it's January 1st. Let's say something encouraging. I'm getting there. But it is important that we remember these things, right? Secondly, there's an important reminder. Verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The principle of sin is alive and well in the world. Not the principle of karma. It doesn't mean that everything bad that happens to you can be connected to some bad thing you did. That was the problem that Job's comforters had, right? They thought, man, you must have really done something bad because look at all the bad stuff that has happened to you. That wasn't what was true. That isn't what happened at all. In fact, Job ended up having to pray for his friends because they needed intervention. The principle of sin affects us thoroughly. Remember back from Genesis chapter 2, right? When God came to Adam and Eve, just like the rest of us, so let's not get ourselves all thinking we're something special. He looked at Adam and Eve and he said, you can eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except that one. If I'd brought in a wet paint sign and stuck it on a wall this morning, I'm willing to bet some of you would have walked over and touched the wall, right? Just to be sure. Because there's something about a prohibition that makes us want to touch. They ate. Eve was deceived by the serpent and she took of the fruit of the tree and she ate it and she gave some to her husband and he ate it. And immediately both of them realized we have sinned. And the curse of sin has been on humanity ever since. And it it affects every part of us. None of us is as bad as we could be, but we are all thoroughly affected by sin. And the principle of sin in the world is what causes decay, right? So when my arthritis is kicking up or when I got to plug in the hearing aid or when I've got a, the knee hurts or I've done something and my back is sore, this, this happens to everybody, right? Not just me. Those things are not because I'm such a bad person. They happen because that's what happens in life. Life begins the moment I'm born. I begin to die. God said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. And in the day they ate of it, what happened? Well, they realized they were sinners, but they didn't die. Something else was happening. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. And they began the process of decay. Even creation faces it, right? It's why creation is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. The principle of sin, we struggle. We're susceptible to illness. We contract disease. And life is brief. The brevity of life is another part of the important reminder. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We get 70 or 80 years, ballpark terms. That's still true, right? My parents both are home in heaven. Uh, passed some years ago now. My mom was 85. My dad was 87 when he died. And we would say of them, they lived a good long life. They loved Jesus. They served the Lord faithfully. They lived a good, full, long life. And God took them home. We understand that as normal, right? Somebody, on the other hand, who maybe is 60-ish, we immediately think something must have been wrong. I wonder what was wrong. Somebody who's in their 30s or 40, we would probably say, hmm, they died before their time. Because there's something about death, the great level, or for all of us, that helps us to realize life is brief. Life is short. We are soon gone. And we fly away to stand before the holy God of the universe. Now, I got my first piece of good news for you. <clears throat> there's a lot about being under the anger of God and the wrath of God. If you're a follower of Christ... That's not true of you anymore. We have information that Moses was not yet privy to when he was writing this. Moses did not understand the full expression of the gospel yet. He looked forward to what God would provide, but we look back to Jesus. So let me give you the first piece of good news and remind you of it. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, this will just make your heart a little happy here. We understand that we are sinners. There's nothing that we can do to change that. So if you're towing somebody out of a ditch, you don't have to break every link in the chain for that to be ineffective, right? You only have to break one link. Same thing is true with sin. I break the law of God by breaking a law. I don't have to break them all. I don't have to be the worst kind of person. I just have to be a little bit bad. And the reality is we all fall short, according to Romans 3. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's the standard, right? So we have this, this standard that God gives us that, man, you know, if 50 or 60%, that's, that's probably, I don't know, is that most of us? I don't know, maybe 70? Here's the problem when we start thinking about how good we are in comparison to others. We have to ask ourselves the honest question, does God grade on a curve? Or is there a standard? If the standard is the glory of God and Mother Teresa's up here at 90% maybe or something or, you know, whatever, is that good enough? Not according to what God says. Because the wages of sin is death. We're under the anger and the wrath of God. But because of Jesus, we don't have to stay there. So God sent his son, Jesus, which we just celebrated at Christmas, right? He sent God in flesh who became God with us. Uh, the, the message magazine uh, translates John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I really like that. I think that's really cool. He became one of us 
And he lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. We, we can't do it, right? We just don't have it in us. Even if you could start today and be perfect the rest of your life, which by now we all know that's not going to happen, we've already messed it up, so it wouldn't matter, right? Because we've all been imperfect, not Jesus. He lived a perfect life, and then he died and paid the penalty for sin, took God's wrath and anger on himself. Then he went into the grave, and on the third day came literally out of the grave again, came back to life. So I turn from my sin. I believe in the gospel that God the Son lived and died and came back to life for me, and I receive Jesus. And when the moment I do that, then I have this really cool transaction. God looks at the sin that's on the account of my life, and he takes it in mass and considers it as on Jesus at the cross. And he takes all that perfect righteousness of Jesus, and he applies it to my account, which is how he can now say David Wilson is righteous. It's the only way he could say that, because I am not. It has to be righteousness that came from somebody else. So we don't live under the anger and the wrath of God, but we do live under the principle of sin in the world. That's why we have struggles. So I would like to suggest four prayers that I think are good godly prayers as you face this new year. The first one is in verse 12. So, with all that in mind, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to use our days wisely, Lord. Moses is, is praying, realizing, man, by now he's 80. <laughs> he's been around a while. He's old. He's 120 maybe now. Anyway, he's an old guy. And he's saying, Lord, teach us to, to use our days wisely. They're short. They're brief. Those three quarters of the people, however many died, they knew they had 40 years maximum. I assume some of them started dying sooner. But they knew they had 40 years left. If you had 40 years left, what would change? Would anything change about your priorities? Now, I hate to admit it out loud, but I'll be 63 this year. I probably don't have 40 years left. What changes when I say, Lord, help me to number my days, to use my days wisely? I think a lot changes. I think a lot is different. I begin to think about the words of Paul to the Ephesians when he said, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now, listen, you don't have to, that doesn't mean you can't ever rest. In fact, God commanded that we do that, right? My opinion here, if you work so hard that you go to bed exhausted every night, you're probably trying to do too much. I don't think God intended that of us. We should work hard. There, uh, I, I almost hesitate to say that out loud because there are a lot of people in our culture that don't seem to want to work hard at all. 
We should work hard, but using our days wisely means investing them well. Sometimes it is just in working hard. Sometimes it is in learning to rest. Sometimes it is in spending time with our family because that's just what we need to do. Listen, you're going to have seasons in your life when you're working so hard, you're just beat every night when you go to bed. I get it. We have seasons. But I'm talking about a lifestyle. Teach us to use our days wisely. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Satisfy us with your faithfulness every day. Now, that's a little bit up to us, right? Because God is faithful, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. So if I had not been able to come to you this morning with such an encouraging report about what God has done in Hampton in the space of a year, would God still be faithful? Of course he would. So it is important for us to watch for evidences of God's faithfulness. He woke you up this morning, right? Now, I may have worked that in reverse here in the last few minutes. Maybe you, you know, just are napping. I don't know. But um, God got you up this morning. He gave you a day to live. We have little evidences like that of God's faithfulness all the time, and we need to look for them because we will find what we look for, right? It's not hard to find struggles. It's not hard to find trials and difficulties because that's part of life. Part of the principle of sin in the world is we have difficulties. But if we're watching for God's faithfulness, we will see it. Prayer number three. Lord, would you show your work and your power? Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Lord, show your work and power, especially to our kids. Man, I want my kids and now my, my grandbabies to see God at work. I want them to know when God's at work. One of the fun things about being a pastor at Coastal is how we do, we do baby, you know, child dedications, family dedications, and we always write a, a blessing over on each of the children, right? Well, I've made it my habit to do that with my grandkids now as they're born. So I, I get their name and I find the meaning and I write a blessing over them. And, and uh, it's been really fun for me to, to pray over my grandchildren. I want them to see God at work. I want them to see the power of God at work. And that's partly up to me, right? I want my kids to see that it's partly up to me to point that out. Look what God has done for our family. Look what God has done. I want to see God's power at work as, as that new building goes up. It's, it's amazing, right? It's incredible what God has done at Coastal and Gloucester. Um, I think it's more than almost anybody really expected. Get almost 400 here Christmas Eve in those three services. I remember one year we, uh, we decided to do three Christmas Eve services. Pastor Sean said, you need to do it. It'll be a good thing. So we had one, one o'clock, right? And it was Megan and her family. <laughs> 
we had like 10 people or so, 12, including me and I guess. And it was, it, it, it was embarrassing. Not anymore, right? It was packed out here at one o'clock just the other week. Again, it's not about the numbers. It's about what God is doing in Gloucester through this ministry and through you. Listen, I remember the days when I was up here just encouraging and doing my best to keep people enthused because I knew that some of you were working two and three Sundays out of the month, sometimes every week, serving in a ministry because there just weren't enough people to serve in those ministries. Even if it was standing at the door, handing out cards, you didn't get to be greeted. You had to be a greeter. Listen, I remember those days and God has honored that. Lord, show your work and power. And then lastly, verse 17, let the favor of our God, the Lord our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In a few words, work hard, trust God. That's what many of you have been doing. We give our all. We serve the Lord with all of our heart. We do our best to be faithful to him, and he does the work. It's always true. God is doing some really incredible things down at Coastal in Chesapeake. It's so far away and so far removed from you that you have to get it by reports. But God is doing some really incredible things. You heard, I think, probably about the, the opportunity they had to minister to Ukrainian refugees recently down there. What an incredible opportunity. God is doing unique things at all of our campuses and is reaching the communities that he has placed us in. And are you a little scared about what's coming for Coastal? Like, I keep hearing rumors about, you know, there's more campuses and more this and more that. Man, we might have 10 campuses in a few years. Does that just make you a little nervous? I hope so. Because we're all going to work hard and we're going to trust God to do whatever God wants to do. Lord, let your favor rest on us and make our work effective. Man, if it's up to me, if it's up to Pastor Andrew or to Pastor Nate, these campuses are not going to go. It is not up to us. We work hard. We seek to be faithful to God, but it is up to God's favor on us to make the work effective. And God can do that for you. So I always give a couple of thoughts to take home. So here they are. And they're from that last little bit. Just a couple of questions. Are you using your days wisely to the glory of God. They are limited after all, right? They are limited either by chronology because you're getting older or they're limited because of some event that God brings into our life. But regardless, you remember the, the illustration I used it once and asked Pastor Sean, he said, oh, I've used it a dozen times. People will probably say, oh, brother, but you know, the rope that's really long and there's a little colored piece in the middle, the little spot is your life. The rope is eternity. We make up just a short little blip. That's really humbling to think about that, right? So while we're here, we need to use our days wisely to the glory of God. Secondly, are you watching and praying for God's faithfulness every day? Look for it. Watch for how God demonstrates his faithfulness to you. It's all the time because God is 
always faithful. Remember that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? I, I don't think I have enough voice to sing it, or I would, but great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to your great faithfulness, mercy, and love. God is always faithful. Let's practice a little more in 2023, watching for evidences of his faithfulness. And then lastly, are you working hard and trusting God to make you effective? I suspect, in fact, I'm pretty certain that Pastor Nate's going to be coming to you saying, I have a list of things we can do at this new building. Work hard. Go up there, put a little sweat equity into that building. You're going to be really happy you did. Work hard at your job to serve God faithfully in your employment, to minister to your coworkers, to have opportunity to reach into their lives and help them understand a little bit more about Jesus. Give your heart and soul to your marriage and to your home so that God's favor as he shows his favor on your hard work within the context of your family, he will he will help develop kids who learn to notice the work and the power of God. That's what I want. It's what I want for my family in 2023. It's what I want for my life and my ministry. It's what I want for Coastal. It's what I want for Coastal Gloucester, even though I only get to come up here once or twice a year. Because I'm so grateful to see what God is doing through the faithfulness of his people. So I would like to pray over you as we close. The guys are going to come back and we're going to sing our way out of here. But I would like to pray over you as we get ready to leave. Father in heaven, <clears throat> I'm very thankful for this group of people that's assembled here. Thank you for each one of them, Lord. Some of them, uh, I don't know and they don't know me, but I know they're part of our family as Coastal and part of the family at Coastal Gloucester. And many of them, Lord, I do know, and we've been through some days together, and we have, uh, we've shared together through some hard times, and we've rejoiced together through some victories. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray for this family of believers as they corporately and individually head into 2023. Oh God, would you put your favor on this place. Lord, we've seen it. We've seen it so much in the last couple of years, we just can hardly take it in. So we're thankful. We're thankful for who you are and what you have done. And I'm thankful for all of these people and how diligently and faithfully they've served you. But Lord, I believe 2023 has got so much more in store and there's so much at stake for the glory of your name. And I pray that you would make your fame seen here. Lord, I pray your blessing on this church family. I pray that you would encourage their hearts. And Lord, I pray for the ones that are sitting here, maybe uh, watching at home right now or a little bit later through a video. Lord, uh, some of them are not enjoying what appears to be your favor right now. Some of them are in a hard time. They're in a, they're in a painful season. 
I pray for encouragement for them, Lord. I pray that they would be reminded today of your faithfulness and that they would rest. They would rest in your grace. Lord, I pray for the one uh, among any of that group that is uh, today not in a right relationship with Jesus. God, I pray they'd have the courage to stick around for a few minutes. Let us let one of us talk to them and show them how they can know for sure they're really rightly related to you. <laughs> God, I'm just grateful for who you are. And uh, I pray that as we come into this year, you would teach us to use our time and our days wisely for your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.